This episode is sponsored by Less Accounting. Are you looking for a system that makes it easy to track all of your expenses, income, and your budget? Is QuickBooks too much of a pain for you? It was for me, and I switched to Less Accounting, and I love it. It makes things really easy to keep track of and gives me a lot of charts and graphs that make it easy for me to look at and just know where I'm at with my expenses and everything else. One of the owners, Alan Branch, and his son have written a book for entrepreneurs' children that talks about what entrepreneurs do and why they're important. So if you're interested in that, you can go to lessaccounting.com slash hero. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash codeschool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 132 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Ruben Lerner. Hey everyone. Eric Davis. Hey. Curtis McHale. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a guest and that is Mandy Moore. Hi everybody. So before we get started guys I just want to remind everybody that we're going to be doing the live Q&A on October 7th and we're going to be just answering questions from the audience. So uh, you show up, you're in the chat room, it's going to be on a Google Plus Hangout. We're just going to uh, give answers to questions and talk through stuff and, and figure out how we can help you have better business. We're going to have video and audio. Anyway, look forward to that. And yeah, let's get started. I think we've had you on the show enough so people know who you are, but you want to do a brief intro anyway? Sure. I'm Mandy, and I am known as either the Ruby Rep or I just incorporated my own business. So now DevReps is up and running, and we're taking on more clients. But the main thing that I find myself doing on a daily basis is running podcasts, managing, editing. Man, sounds like a lot of work. It is. Not going to lie. Each podcast probably takes me between three and five hours to get out the door. Three to five hours for an hour-long podcast. So that sounds like an enormous amount of work to me and certainly more than I would have expected even being on this podcast for as long as I have. Yeah, for yeah. me, it sounds about right. Having done podcast production myself, you usually spend three to four times as long as the recording is to edit it if you want to do a really good job on it. Three to five hours is just not just editing. See, a, a lot of people don't understand like the maintenance that goes into actually getting a show put together. You know, I do more than just edit. I get the guests. I confirm with guests. I explain the guests what, you know, the show's about and how it works and how to get connected and how to prepare. And then after that, you know, you have the editing process. And then I go back and do show notes with timestamps and links and all sorts of things. And then actually going in and putting guest names into uh database that sends out a follow-up email that says, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. You know, do you have maybe any suggestions or any contacts for another show? And then, you know, the whole scheduling thing comes up again and again, and it's just a constant loop of maintenance and preparation. And each show really, you know, I at least put in a lot of care into every show. Yeah. And I have to point out that she's much more detail-oriented than I am. 
So when I would edit the shows and do that kind of stuff, I would just kind of make something up <laughs> for the show notes. <laughs> um, you know, here's the general gist of what we talked about, and here are some of the interesting points. And I would take a few notes during the show. You know, and editing, I wasn't as detail-oriented either. I mean, I cut out, like, the major things, but, you know, I wasn't always super interested in doing, you know, that kind of editing and things like that. So so that's why we have Mandy do it. <laughs> <laughs> Say, what was the biggest thing you thought improved when Mandy jumped in, Chuck? She actually goes in and clears out a lot more of the things, the ums and ahs and you knows and the empty space and things like that, the stuff that I just didn't pay a lot of attention to. She does way better than I do on that. And so the shows flow much more smoothly. The other thing that took a vast improvement was uh, the show notes. She does a way better job on that than I do. Mainly it's just because she actually makes sure the timestamps are in there and then goes through and puts like detailed notes in there as to what's in it. And then she also stays on top of the transcriptionist to get the work done there. So just overall, it's been really, really awesome. Can you walk us through? Because like, obviously, we come do the show every week, and then we sort of go away, and magically it appears on the web. Can you walk us through maybe the process of a show? What happens before it happens? What happens, well, obviously, during we know, to some degree at least, and then afterwards as well? Yeah. So, like I said, the first step is finding your guests. And, you know, you get a lot of those through referrals and past guests and stuff if you make sure to follow up with them. And then, you know, like explaining the recording process. I have a guest checklist that I have, you know, maintained for every single show. And every guest checklist is different. And if Chuck's okay with it, I'll put an example of one in the show notes that, you know, people can see the kinds of things that the guests should prepare for. Yeah, go and ahead and put the one up for this show. Okay, yeah, I will do that. And then, you know, the sending out the calendar invitations, a big part of it is coordinating time zones. You know, you have a lot of people from different time zones on each podcast and have to kind of be like, okay, well, it's going to be this time Pacific time, this time Eastern time, and this time is your time. So, you know, making sure they show up at the right time is also a big thing. And then as far as the process goes, then you guys come and you record the show. And when it's done, I ask Chuck to put the raw audio in either a WAVE or .AIFF form into Dropbox. Uh, I have a shared folder for every podcast that I produce, their individual folder, so things stay organized that way. And then I import the raw audio into Audacity. I run the primary filters, compression, noise removal, and a leveler. And then I listen to both the beginning and endings of the recording where the panelists and guests may have instructions for me or things to look for or go back and remove because they realize they shouldn't have said that or that they just don't want it in there anymore. So I, I listen to that kind of stuff. And sometimes in the pre-show, you guys will just be talking and being like, oh, yeah, yeah the, this will be a really good guest or a topic to have on a future show. So then I make note of that and I have a folder in Evernote that just says, you know, freelancer show guest ideas. And I put so-and-so in there and be like, oh, well, maybe, you know, in a few weeks because the schedule's kind of full, I'll, I'll reach out to this person and see if they'll come on the show. So, you know, you may not know that you're giving me instructions, but I take notes. Then I cut those out and find an opening joke if there is one for the show. And then we cut into the intro music. I put the intro music in, all the sponsorship messages, and then just kind of go into the show. 
And like Chuck said, I, I eliminate awkwardness or long pauses when people need moments to think and form words and sentences. Uh, I take out ums and ahs, stuttering, repeated words and overly used phrases. One of Chuck's overly used phrases is, that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and that, then, that, that's funny to me because I, I, I would think that was, uh, that's content that you would not want to take away. But now that you say that, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like sometimes like you have overly used phrases. I, I can't really think of uh, more over the, on the top of my head, but... You know, sometimes I'll go, I'll, go, I'll go get my wife. She'll she'll know exactly what phrases I say way too much. Well, you know, as another one, because, <laughs> you know, like people, they're like, okay, well, you know, and then I know this, and you know, so then you know, I take out one or three of you knows because I don't think people they don't realize that they're actually saying it a lot in speech. Another one is like, like this, like that, you know, like you know. So if you uh, take out some of those small things, it just it ends up making the conversation seem a lot more flowing and cohesive and less amateur, I guess. It just it makes it flow better and it makes it nicer. And then when that's all done, you know, I put the outro music in, any uh, last sponsorship messages, and then, you know, export as MP3, set the metadata so that it shows up in in iTunes as podcast in the title and the the show name, package it into an MP3 and deliver it into Dropbox. But then, you know, some some of the shows that I do, that's the extent that I, that I do it. I just put it in the Dropbox and t- they take the rest. Some of them, they want show notes. Then I just go back and I go into, I keep everything in Google Docs because I find that it's nice to have stuff in the cloud so that if, God forbid, anything happens to my computer uh, I would just have to get a new computer and sign into my Gmail account and everything is there. So I write all the show notes in Google Docs. And when I'm done with that, I share it with the transcriptionist. So they have access to the show notes so that, you know, they can go back through with their transcripts and see what they should be looking for. And maybe some tech terms that they're not familiar with, they're already there that they can see. So then we put in timestamps and in other important main concepts. You know, I put links to relevant talks and slides and books and blog posts and terms that are talked about so that people can just kind of follow along on the web as they're listening if they want to. Or maybe they just go back and are like, oh, well, I really want to see a, this talk this person was talking about. And they can just go to the show notes and it's right there and they don't have to spend time Googling it and trying to find the right talk. So the show notes, then after those are done, they go to the transcriptionist. Once the transcriptionist is done, then I take all the show notes and the transcript and put them into a blog post and schedule that to go out at the same time every week. And, you know, that's another thing that I think running a successful podcast, I I don't just do podcasts for Chuck. I do podcasts for other people as well. So I, I find that the shows that have the most success are the ones that maintain a weekly schedule, like that are recorded, rain or shine, this week at every time. If some people can't show up, some people don't show up. That's fine. But the shows go on. And that's why I think that Chuck's podcasts are so successful is because people know every Thursday they're going to get a new episode of The Freelancer Show. 
every Wednesday they're going to get a new episode of Ruby Rogues or JavaScript Jabber. So I really think if you want to start your own podcast, one of the things you really need to uh, do is is make a commitment to your show and say, you know, this is what's going to happen every single week. Because the people who don't really do that, you know, their their podcasts are sporadic and then they don't get as much publicity and much of a, a listening range because listeners don't know what to expect. So I think it's a really, really good idea that you maintain a schedule and deliver content to your listeners every single week. I completely agree. As a listener to many different podcasts, uh, including Chuck's other podcasts, coming out on a regular schedule is crucial for me as a listener. So I think you're spot on there. Well, yeah. one, one thing that I found is that people tend to get into a groove with this. So it's not, oh, I have a new Ruby Rogues in my podcast app or podcatcher is what seems to be the term that I hear for whatever app you use. And so I'm going to listen to it. But Ruby Rogues comes out on Wednesdays, as does JavaScript Jabber. This show comes out on Thursday, as does Adventures in Angular and iFreaks. So people build that into their schedule. So their morning commute on Wednesday, they're listening to JavaScript Jabber. So when it doesn't come out, they notice. And, you know, every week that it does come out, you know, it's it's just part of their routine. And I think that's a big part of why it's successful, too. So, yeah, that's, I, that's, I've had several that's people tell me true. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now my schedule is a little more helter-skelter than it used to be. But when I was going to a particular client every, I think it was Tuesday and Thursday, I knew which podcast I was going to listen to walking from the train to their office in the morning and listening in the afternoon because I knew what was coming out on what day at what time. I, I totally agree with that. So uh, one thing I do want to talk about rather quickly, and this is something that the other panelists can probably answer a little better than, than Mandy or I can. I can. I have some answers to this too. But have you found that the podcast benefits your business at all? I mean, it seems like it's a good way to get the word out, and I've seen benefit from the shows that I do. But do you get a benefit from doing the show? I have not had anyone come to me and say, wow, you're on the freelancer show. I want to hire you as a consultant. So that sort of fame and fortune has not come my way. However, I would say, I've, I mean, I've certainly benefited in two other ways. One is I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised to discover people I know who listen, not just because I'm on here, but because they've been listening for a while, even before I came on. And so it's given me the warm fuzzies to know that people are are listening and benefiting. And I've also found that it has benefited my business because talking to you guys and, and having panelists and raising these issues and thinking about them has forced me to reconsider all sorts of things about my business and improve it. I'm a little curious in the case of Eric and Curtis, because I know that they both have blogs and some products related to freelancing. Has it benefited that at all for you guys? I know when I've talked to a lot of people that are interacting with me regularly, they mention that they've heard me on the freelancer show as well. And I haven't tracked enough to know if they heard me here first or if they, you know, interacted with me on my site first. And then I mentioned that I was on the freelancer show, um, but it certainly gets mentioned regularly. And I don't tell you guys that it got mentioned as much as it should probably. Yeah. And it's, I've seen a lot of benefit kind of both ways. Like I've had people on my list and I have, I think like 53 now this week, like different newsletters. So like it's 53 weeks of content and a lot of them all actually reference back to shows. Like I know one, I do a lot of stuff about how Michael Port does like the red velvet rope policy. So I actually referenced the show. Um, so I, I actually send people in my newsletter and on my blog to the sh certain shows that I know is like about a topic or more details. And then I also have a lot of people that will contact me who have been subscribed for, you know, maybe even a year. And they'll be like, 
hey, you know, I've, I've listened to, to the, they don't even say the podcast name. They say, hey, I've listened to you on the podcast and, you know, I've been a subscriber for a long time. And, you know, then they get into their email. So there's a lot of crossover both ways. And I think it's great, you know, that we can help people kind of interactively audio wise like this. And then also, you know, I have my newsletter, Curtis has this stuff too. And, you know, it's kind of a, a, a community, but a very like loosely threaded community, which is pretty nice. So this show, I don't have any products or anything that directly impacts my business come out of this show in particular, but I have gotten work from the iFreak show. I had some folks that were building an iOS app that needed the Apple push notification service integrated, and that worked out very nicely. And then I've gotten work from JavaScript Jabber and Ruby Rogues, either by mentioning that I needed work, by talking to the other panelists, or just people contacting me and say, hey, I like the show. The one show that I did that really seemed to get me the most freelancing work was actually a video, and it was Teach Me to Code, and I just demonstrated, here's how you build this kind of app. And, you know, that worked out very, very nicely, and I had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, I'm really interested in having you build something similar for me. But, I mean, that's really the extent of it. But I have, like I said, I've gotten several contracts from doing this kind of thing. So I think content production as a whole is a very efficient way of proving that you have what it takes to do whatever it is that they need. Well, let's be honest. I mean, the topic of this show isn't really catered towards clients. And I I say this a lot in my newsletter. It's a lot of of freelancers and consultants market to other freelancers and consultants. And that's very ineffective way of getting clients. Like you can, and we're not going to, I don't want to get into that right now, but you know, so this show is not really a good way to get our actual consulting clients, but it's a good way, I think, to kind of meet with peers, meet with associates, kind of build up, you know, like the community, build up people that, you know, maybe in a few years you're going to work with them, or maybe they have some overflow work and you can do something with them now, but also kind of have like a sounding board or like a, a large informal mastermind group or something. I've gotten work from being on some of the shows. I had somebody contact me last week that had just heard me or caught up to Ruby Rogues, and I was on the 100th episode, and he said he heard me on there and was wondering if I had time to take him on as a client. And, you know, I've I've gotten work because of people know that I do, especially Chuck shows, that they're interested in me helping them. So I've definitely gotten work from indirectly being part of the podcasts. Yep. I know several other podcasters and freelancers that do coaching or specific types of freelancing that actually they get business off of whatever it is that they're doing, whatever content they're putting out there. So the sky is really the limit. You know, it's uh, whatever it is that you need or whoever you're trying to reach. If you're putting content out that they're interested in, then there are just endless possibilities for it. I know my content that is similar like my blog, which is similar to these lines. My clients have read that and then said that they made the decision on to use me or someone else based on what I'd written about how I run my business. Mm-hmm. And so even listening to the podcast, I have a few clients who I know listen to the podcast now after talking to me and then listening to it and they enjoy it even for running their businesses. Yeah, another thing that I think that really makes running a successful podcast possible is really involving the community or the community that this podcast that you're on targets, you know, putting out there on social media, we just published an episode, or just being on the Freelancer Show uh, account and putting out there, hey, do you have any recommendations for 
who we should have on the show or what do you want us to talk about and kind of engaging the audiences in that kind of way, you know, tweeting and retweeting episodes from multiple accounts. I know I always retweet every episode that the freelancer show puts out from both my personal account and from dev reps account. So doing that kind of stuff really, really, really helps engage the audience and get them involved. Yep. I do want to talk a little bit about the post-show process that I have. So I use Office Autopilot. Or one thing that I do is I have a series of responses that go out to guests. And so when we have a guest on the show, they get an email almost immediately that says, uh, well, as soon as Mandy enters them into Office Autopilot for me, they get an email that says, hey, we have this forum. We actually uh, would like you to be a part of the forum and basically invite them to get involved with us and with what we're doing. And then, you know, after that, I have several others. And one of them is, who else should we get on the show? Another one is, do you know anyone who I should talk to about sponsoring the show? And then I'm trying to remember all of them. I have one that goes out and asks them to record a bumper. So that's the, hey, this is so-and-so, and you're listening to the show. That one's fairly new, so none of the shows actually have those on them yet. And then I ask them for referrals. And so I engage with them four or five times before I kind of let them go off into things. And I wind up talking to some of them more than others. Some of them, you know, they just reply to each email and then, you know, that's pretty much it. But some of them I have built a relationship with and get excited to see them. So, for example, somebody mentioned in the chat Kirk Bowman, who we did the uh, value-based pricing talk with. I saw him at Podcast Movement and I was excited to see him and I talked to him and it was really cool. And a few others, you know, I, I stay in touch with and I email back and forth and stuff like that. And so, you know, there are a lot of benefits to doing it beyond just for my business where I'm building these relationships that I can use to then build my business. I'm, I'm curious how much of this you guys and I mean, Chuck and Mandy learned on your own sort of the hard way and how much you're in touch with other podcasters. I self-taught myself. Avdi, as a lot of people already know my story, I, I uh, started doing uh, assistance work for Avdi, and at the time he was running wide teams, and he just kind of threw it at me one day and said, there's this free program called Audacity, download it, put the audio in, see if you can clean it up, whatever. So I played around with it, I spent some time on the message boards, asked some questions that some people actually trolled me and are like, are you serious? And I'm like, I'm self-teaching myself. Like, I'm sorry. Was this a stupid question? But I ended up figuring it out. I started playing with effects on my own. I researched and did other things and just kind of taught myself. By me teaching myself, I was able to teach my fiance. So he helps me as well as part of the DevRups team in editing episodes of other shows and you know he'll even do this show sometimes but you never know who it is it's it could be me or him and the quality is still the same so that's kind of how I got started now I'm, I've been spending some time I'm taking uh, courses via Udemy about screencasting so I'm going to start offering screencasting editing services in the near future once I finish the course and once I do my first one, I have somebody who's willing to let me do their first Pluralsight course editing, but I haven't done it yet and I don't think he's ready for me to go yet. But after that's done and I figure that out, I'm going to start that as well. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely self-taught. I'm still learning new things every day. 
every time I try to play with things and, and just put the best possible quality podcast out there for all my clients that I can. Yeah. So funny you should mention that. Actually, you already know that I'm starting a screencast series. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so my story is a little bit different, and I'll summarize the first part of how I got into podcasting. I started listening to podcasts when I was working for a company called Mosey, which is uh, here in the Utah Salt Lake area. Basically, the way that it went was I worked with somebody who had bought an iPod and had gotten into podcasts. So I started listening to podcasts, and I talked to one of the podcasters I was listening to. Uh, some of you guys probably know Greg Pollock, and he encouraged me to get started with podcasting. And I actually did a couple of screencasts for Teach Me to Code when my friend Eric was running it. And so I got started there. Uh, I actually had Tex, is it TechSmith that does Camtasia? They actually donated a, a license for Camtasia and a microphone. And so I, I was really excited about it. I started listening to Podcast Answer Man. So I picked up a lot of stuff there. And I did an interview show. I did about 81 or 82 episodes of that before we started doing Ruby Rogues and some of the other stuff. And I was also doing the Teach Me to Code screencasts, which I've already talked about. Anyway, it was just, it was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed doing the podcasts and the screencasts and that's kind of how I got started. So my process before I started handing things off to Mandy, I was actually using and still use Adobe Audition, which is a paid program. I think it's a little bit nicer than Audacity, but Audacity works just fine. So to answer the second question, which I think is uh, more relevant to where I'm at now, being involved in the podcasting community, I go to at least two podcasting conferences now each year. So I go to New Media Expo, which has been in January in Las Vegas, but is currently they currently moved it so that it's now going to be in uh, Las Vegas in April, around the same time as the National Association of Broadcasters Convention. And then there's another one that's called Podcast Movement that is in Dallas in August. So I went to that one a month or so ago. And the podcasting community is very vibrant, and it's a lot of fun to be involved in. And I've known several of the people there for a while. I was involved in Cliff Ravenscraft's Podcast Mastermind, which was kind of an elite group in his community of people who were into and interested in podcasting and and so, you know, I've, I've been very involved there. I'm part of the Podcaster's Paradise, which is run by John Lee Dumas, who was also on the show. And so I stay pretty involved. And I'm actually involved to the point where that is starting to affect my business in a different way. And that is, is that I've begun building services that I want because the ones out there either I don't like or for one reason or another just don't work for me. So I'm building services in Ruby on Rails for those markets. And so I'm talking to a lot of folks. And then the other thing that I am doing, staying involved with those, uh, with the community is I'm actually putting together a Kickstarter and kind of a storyboard for an iPhone app for podcasters because I've had several people actually ask me what it would take to build a mobile app for their show. And so there are several things going on in the community that I'm not only involved in, but I'm kind of pushing ahead and finding opportunities for my business. And so, you know, all in all, it's been really a lot of fun and really fascinating to uh, participate in. Now, Chuck, would you recommend like th- those kind of things that you just said? Are they mostly for people who run podcasts or host podcasts, or would it be something that like you would recommend me as just an editor to start getting involved in? Some of the tools it would probably benefit somebody as an editor like you to at least know, mm-hmm. so you know to understand how to use it. So if somebody decides. 
I want to do a podcast and then, you know, they say I'm using this tool, then it can come down to, okay, well, I already know how to use this tool. Some of the other things with like the iPhone app and stuff, that's something that people are interested in, but I don't know that that's something that you as an editor would necessarily need to understand unless there's an involved backend on. Gotcha. But you will be involved in the building process for that because I'm going to need you to manage a lot of that stuff for my shows. Good to know. Anyway, so I am very involved in the podcasting community. To answer your question, I just answered it in a very long way. And there are a lot of resources out there for people who want to start podcasts. And I get a lot of questions that I wind up answering for people too. But I've been podcasting for six years and I really enjoy it. It's kind of my other hobby or other love in addition to programming. One thing I do want to talk about that is interesting in this conversation is kind of the opportunities to grow your list and do the marketing and things like that that are associated with the podcast. And these are things that I've been thinking about lately and working on. The webinar that we're going to do on October 7th is one of those things where there are opportunities now to engage with people either via online medium like the webinar or just via email as people get into the email list. I'm kind of curious if you guys had a podcast that you kind of did on your own, that you branded toward your various clients and things, what would you do? How, how would you build marketing around that? Because it's kind of the top of the funnel. Well, I think you need to look at the whole goal of the podcast, right? As we've said, this podcast doesn't necessarily reach my core clients, or at least where I make my most money right now, which is development work. So I, if I was looking for a podcast for them, it would answer questions that they had. So I'd even take questions I get during emails from them or anything like that and answer it in a podcast form so that I could answer it for lots of other potential clients as well. Well, if I did one, I would probably focus on doing assistant work. Mm -hmm. My friend Cliff did that. You might want to go check out his, the virtual assistant podcast. Oh, cool. I'm just not sure if a podcast is necessarily the best way for me to reach the people that I'm interested in. Because right now, I mean, I've been doing a lot of training for a while in addition to development work. And I'm not really sure if that's the right medium or regular podcast for dealing with such things. However, I mean, the webinar that I tried last week was just a huge success from my perspective. And so, I mean, if you want to call that a podcast, but, you know, more of a screencast and doing it, say, not once a week, but I definitely plan to do this, say, once a month. In that sense, I'm actually looking to excite people who are interested in getting this sort of training and then hiring me to do it more. You know, if they see me for an hour, then maybe they'll be interested in me doing it more. But it wouldn't be a sort of regular ongoing podcast, I don't think. Yeah, that makes sense. So one thing that I thought about doing is actually setting one up for like lean startup or something similar or, you know, for business people and understanding technology, things like that, because you know, that's much more along the lines of the people that I want to work for. And so, you know, then I would be setting up, and I'm I'm planning on doing this for my current shows, is setting up the email lists where people get in and they get a bunch of good content in their email. And then at the same time, you know, we also get the opportunity to tell them about some of the things that we're doing that could make a difference for them. And from there, then we can work things out so that, you know, we can tell them about products that they want or find out what they need and then give them opportunities to get it from us and things like that. Uh, one of the things that I'm trying out is the webinars, you know, and we've talked about that. I'm looking at doing the same thing. So I'm, I'm starting a video series on how to do specific things with Ruby on Rails. There was a screencast series in the past called Railscasts that did the same thing. And so I'm going to try and pick up where Ryan left off to a certain degree and do that kind of thing. 
and I'm calling mine Rails Clips. And so one of the things that I'm planning on doing to market that is I'm going to take the opportunity to go with an audience that's very similar, that being Ruby Rogues, and I'm going to give them the opportunity to sign up for a webinar, and then I'm going to invite some of the people in the Ruby community that I know that I'm connected to to do a webinar or a series of webinars where we talk about maybe the upcoming features in Rails 4.2, which is coming out soonish, or have somebody come on and talk about a specific kind of architecture that's related to that. And so not specifically to my freelancing business, but to another place where I'm going to be marketing and making money, you know, I'm going to be drawing people into that because as they sign up for the webinar and they join the mailing list and they do all of the other things that I am enticing them and inviting them to do and then giving them so much value to where they, you know, they're extremely happy to have done it, then I can turn around and I can market a product or a service that makes sense for them. And that's the kind of thing that I'm looking to do with these other shows. So, you know, they may not be my products. They may not be services that I perform myself, but they're going to be products and services that I believe will help those folks. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Let's say someone decides, you know, podcasting is totally the thing that I want to do for my business. Um, It's going to push me forward. It's going to make me an authority. It's going to get me well-known and, of course, make me rich and famous. So my question is, what first steps should they take? Like someone who's interested in podcasting, what should they do and what should they hire someone else to do? Since you guys, I mean, especially Chuck, you really sung the praises of having someone do a lot of this work for you. The real trick is, is finding something that, you know, you're going to stick with. For example, I've talked to several podcasters out there, podcast coaches, podcast people, and it seems like the majority of the people who start a podcast and get going with podcasting you know, they pick something that they think is going to, you know, make them rich or is going to make their business, you know, X times better than whatever. And they get all excited about it. And then it turns out they're not passionate about it. And when I say passionate, I don't mean like you start drooling over it and that's the only thing you ever think about and blah, blah, blah. When I say passionate, I mean you're interested enough in it to where you could talk about it a lot. So they wind up in a position where They start their show, and they just kind of disappear after a while. And it's unfortunate because they miss out on on an opportunity to really capitalize on something. And so you'll run out of content, you run out of interest, and you just quit. And most people quit before they get through five or six episodes. So I think that's the first major thing is just find something that you love to talk about. And so for me, it's programming, and I talk about it a lot because I have five shows that I do every week where I'm talking about it. The next thing is is that people get intimidated by the, the equipment. I have heard podcasts that are recorded by plugging the earbuds that come with your iPhone into your headphone jack, and they sound fine. So, you know, don't freak out over the equipment. Yes, equipment is nice to have, but not essential. So th- those are a couple of things that, that I see people run into. So just start. That's the next thing. Just start. Um, You can submit to iTunes. The other places that I recommend people submit to are Stitcher Radio. You have to scroll all the way to the bottom, and then it's like the provider portal or whatever they call it is what you're looking for. So then the next thing that you want to do is besides finding that essential thing that you can talk about, you need some artwork done. I recommend to people that they don't use a white or black background. It seems like the colored backgrounds that we have and then just nice-looking artwork with the name of the show on it 
seems to really engage people the most. And if you don't have artwork or you don't have nice artwork, you're less likely to get clicks in iTunes. And it's funny because that this is what I've been do- I've taught I've been coaching two other new podcasters the last week or so, and just talking to them and saying this is what I like, this is what I don't like, you know, related to podcasting and. Also, just with what they're doing, you know, giving them feedback and telling them how to get started. So if you're in iTunes, you're in Stitcher, if your content is relevant to it, in other words, if it's not like sort of anti-Microsoft, you also want to submit to the Microsoft Store and you just send an email to podcast at Microsoft.com and they'll figure it out. The next thing that I'm, I want to talk a little bit about is hosting. I, I recommend Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. The difference is, is if you store your files on Amazon AWS, then you get charged for storage and bandwidth. And so if you have a long-running show, eventually it will be much more cost-effective to use something like Libsyn. Just keep that in mind. One other thing that you want to uh, make sure that you're doing is, like Mandy said, make sure that you're consistent every week or every day or however often, and you can just tell people that. One other thing that really helps is if you know who your audience is. So then at the beginning of the show, you can say something like, you know, we're the show that shows business people how to think about technology. And so then what that does is when a business person who is struggling with figuring out how to use technology or to know what technology to use, they automatically self-identify as a listener for that show. We get away with that a little bit with some of our shows just because people self-identify just off the title. I'm a freelancer, I'm a Ruby developer, I'm a JavaScript developer, blah, 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 on and on and on. So you kind of get an idea there of what we're talking about. But that also really helps. You also need to figure out what format you want. So all of these shows are all panel discussions. The screencasts are how to do this with Rails. And then you have stuff like interview shows. But, you know, overall, figure out what your format is and stick to it. And make sure that, you know, it's consistent with what you people what you want people to get out of your show. I think the most important thing is just really finding something that you want to talk about that you like to talk about, that you want to share with other people, that you want to engage with other people, and then just sticking with it. The one other thing that I tell people a lot is don't focus on the numbers. So a lot of people, they get going, they've been doing it for like two months, and, you know, they know about some show that gets thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads, and then they get frustrated, right, because they only have a few hundred people listening, and they're looking at those numbers, and they're feeling bad. But the thing is, is if you know what you want to get out of the show... And so in my case, you know, I love engaging with people and figuring out, okay, you know, this helped you out. How can I make your life better? Stuff like that. You know, I hear these stories and I I get excited and I'm happy to hear them. So that's kind of the thing there is get to know your listeners and find out who they are. And that'll, A, help you focus your show and make it better. But the other thing is, is those are the people that really matter. And so, you know, if you know 10 of your 100 listeners and you know who they are and what they do for work and what makes them tick and what their hobbies are and et cetera, et cetera, then you really get the feeling of, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is how I'm making a difference. And that's really what's going to carry you through. It's not because you have thousands of people listening. But, yeah, that's kind of the gist of what, what I tell people when they want to start a podcast. I mean, obviously, I know what a panel podcast is, but, like, don't we do interviews on a fairly regular basis? Or are you talking about one-on-one interviews? It's more one-on-one interviews. With the panel, when we have a guest, it's a little bit different because they more or less join the panel. And so everybody is still expected to chime in and stuff, even if we do let the guest talk a little bit more than we do. With the interview podcast, your job is to make the interviewer look good. 
And if you do a good job of that, then you get the credit for bringing them in and you get the credit for asking the right questions and understanding the topic well enough to carry on a good conversation about it. And so, but with the panel discussion, I feel it's a little bit different because a lot of times the other panelists on the show have experience too. And so by having more of a discussion, since that's the way we're set up, since we have several people on the show, we can have that discussion and make it work. And in some cases, like with the Daniel Pink, it was more of an interview. You know, we, we asked some questions and stuff. But with other guests, it seems to work much better if we have things to add on our own. So if, if you have something to throw out there on your own, you know, you are, you are welcome to do that because it, it is a panel discussion. It's not an interview per se. And really, it really does come down to the guest and, you know, what they're looking to get out of it. But you have that flexibility with the panel and you don't really have that as a host interviewing people. And so you don't really want to talk about I unless it's augmenting something that your guest has said in an interview with a, in a one-on-one -on -one interview. Because if you go on your own uh, monologue in an interview where you're talking about yourself and not really shining the spotlight on them, then a lot of times it, it just feels weird. But that's pretty much it. You also should do some homework when you interview somebody so that you understand the types of things they're going to talk about and be conversant in those things so that you can draw out the details that are really kind of the big, juicy, important bits. And then just make it conversational. Sounds good. And don't sweat editing. Don't spend 10 million years editing because when you start out, you're going to be doing it yourself and it's more important to get the content out there and make sure that it's okay. And then as time goes on, then you can get to the point where you either hire somebody like Mandy or you just get good enough to where it doesn't take you as long to get as good a quality out of your interview or out of your podcast. Anything else we should talk about? Mandy, is there anything in our process that I haven't brought up? Not that I can think of. All right. Well, should we do some picks? Let's do it. Yes. Eric, do you want to do some picks for us? Yeah, I got one. It's actually kind of relevant to this topic. It's from Seth Godin, uh, yet again. Uh, the topic is producers and consumers. It's a nice, uh, short blog post about, you know, if you're a consumer, if you're a producer, um, and especially if you're thinking about creating a podcast, like this is something to think about and might kind of motivate you a bit to get going. Awesome. Love Seth Godin. All right, Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick a company called Startup Vitamins. They do printed stuff. So I have a cup from them, coffee cup that says, life is short, do stuff that matters. And they have a whole bunch of good things to read and to just put on your wall to motivate you to do what you should be doing every day. That's nice quality stuff. Awesome. Reuven, what are your picks? Okay, I got uh, three picks for this week. First of all, book that I'm mostly done reading by one of my favorite authors, Tim Harford, also known for The Undercover Economist. And I think I mentioned a few months ago, The Undercover Economist Strikes Back. He has a book from a few years ago called Adapt, Why Success Always Starts with Failure. And it is just great stuff talking about how, you know, we wonder why so many businesses fail. And his point is, we shouldn't be interested in why so many of them fail. We should expect them to fail. The question is, what do businesses learn and what do people learn when they fail so that they can turn that into success? And he's just, he's a wonderful storyteller and has lots and lots of interesting things to say on the subject. Second pick is Fiverr, which was a client of mine for about two years, but I started using them. I, uh, I wanted an ebook cover. I said, you know, I'll try Fiverr. And it was so convenient and cheap, of course, at $5. It was Super nice, convenient. When I needed some revisions done, it was easy to work with. 
Uh, the interface, which I had seen from the inside as a developer, was actually easy to work with as an actual consumer. So I've definitely been enjoying that experience quite a bit. And because it was only $5, so I decided to try two ebook covers and got to then poll people on which one was the better one. Uh, and my third pick is uh, my wife and I have started watching over the last uh, few weeks The Good Wife, which I know is you know, well known in the US and elsewhere, but we just started with it. But it's won lots of awards and people keep saying it's an amazing show. So we're only a few shows in, but so far it's been great, great fun. Definitely recommended for your copious free time. Anyway, those are my picks for this week. Cool. I've got a couple of picks. The first one is a book. It's Michael Vay and the Jade Dragon. I've been enjoying those books. They are young adult fiction, so don't expect them to get too elaborate, but I really enjoyed them, and I like that Michael Vay is kind of a good kid that does good stuff, and uh, a lot of his friends are good kids that do good stuff, and, you know, it's a book that I'd be comfortable with my kids reading. The other one is uh, a podcast, and it's called Starting From Nothing. It's the Foundations podcast. The Foundation is a startup incubator kind of thing, uh, or a startup school kind of thing, so... uh yeah, been enjoying that as well. Yeah, those are my picks. Mandy, do you have some picks for us? Yep. The first pick I have is something I just discovered. It's called geocaching, and it's so much fun. I did it all weekend with my daughter, who's five, and we call it treasure hunting. And what it is is you just download this app on your iPhone and it shows you where all these containers are hidden close to you within so many mile radius. And sometimes you go and it's just a log, you sign your name, but sometimes they'll actually have treasure in it and you can take something out and put something of equal or greater value back in. So, you know, you... She has so many dumb little toys that she's gotten out of Happy Meals or, or some something else. And we just take have like a, a little basket full of those in the car. And if, for instance, we were at her horseback riding lesson yesterday and I, I was watching her, I was just looking it up and I noticed there was one right down the street. So on our way home from horseback riding lesson, we just stopped and we found it. And then once you get out of the car, you have to use a compass and it tells you how many feet it is. So... You do kind of look dumb walking around in circles until you f you're finding where this little containers are hidden. Sometimes they're in, they're in guardrails. Sometimes they're in poles. If you lift up the plastic cover on on poles that are in a parking lot, it's just it's so much fun. And the containers can be really really small from the size of like a bullet shell to big with stuff in it. And sometimes they have tracking bugs in it, and you can look up a number where it's been or the uh, ID code and see where it's been. Some of them have been, you know, they're, it's all over the world. It's so cool. And all you just go to geocaching.com and it'll tell you more about it. It's everywhere. And it's something that I wish I discovered sooner, but me and my daughter are going to have so much fun with it because we've already found three and I'm ready to go make a day out of it already next weekend. And then my second pick is just this iOS game called Criminal Case. It's a hidden object game, and it gives you clues, and you talk to suspects, and then you have to find the hidden objects to get energy, and you kind of just put it together and arrest people and stuff like that. And it's kind of set up like a Candy Crush kind of thing. There's levels, and I'm on level 5, but it's taken me three weeks to get to level 5, so it looks like there's so many more levels and it's just something to do in, in my free time if I'm waiting for something to download or I have five minutes to spare. I'll just play a couple rounds, and it's pretty fun. So those are my picks. Cool. 
Just to remind everybody, go to freelancersanswers.com if you want to come to our live Q&A webinar. That will be on October 7th, and we're really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see what people's questions are and how we can help them with stuff. So, yeah, we're looking forward to talking to you, and uh, we'll catch you all next week as well. Where can you learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself? You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall and Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash form. 